Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And welcome to Formula for Success. I'm David Coulthard, and here with me, as always, is the man they call EJ, Flash Jordan, and plenty of other less polite names, I'm sure. I can think of a few. It's Eddie Jordan. Ah, I thought this would never happen. First day back, looking at you in the flesh. We're in the same room. Can you believe? I'm nervous already. No, this feels so much better, because we've done uh, the first I'm, few. I know what you're like, and I'm nervous. I'm watching my pockets, I'm... Just making sure all the right pieces are in the right places. Don't worry. I'm definitely not going to rifle in your pockets, but it is good <laughs> to be in front of you. And, well, it's really, really exciting because uh, this, well, listeners can't actually see us. But uh, as we've just said, being in the same room gives us a chance to really interact and share your vast knowledge and inaccuracies with the world. Well, I'm glad you said inaccuracies because I always learned at a very early stage, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. And uh, that is part of Irish folklore. The way you tell stories, you embellish everything and you just create and hopefully somebody will enjoy it. Well, let me, let me just delve into your memory and see if you can remember one little event because we, we did tease it on, on one of the other podcasts about our little trip to Baku to the Azerbaijan Grand Prix where with the production business Whisper, we, you know, we produced the show for, for Channel 4, but we were down, a man down. I can't remember who it was that couldn't be there. And I, I got on the phone to you and said, look, come along to the race and I'll sort out accommodation. But obviously being Scottish, I didn't want to pay for a room for you. So we ended up sharing a room. And I thought, you know, you, you lay on your back, you crossed your arms across your chest and went to sleep. And when I woke up, you know, seven, eight hours later, you're in the same position. I actually thought you'd passed away in the night. With fright of you, I suppose. <laughs> no, no, I don't know. I was going to reach over and put my hand on your neck to check for a pulse, but I was scared you'd be cold. And Did I, I wear any undergarments? I don't think so. I, I wasn't looking, <laughs> I can assure so. you. You could have been completely <laughs> naked. There was no way I was going to look. But, but do you recall that day? I, well, I, I remember sharing a room with you and being a little well, bit nervous. You're, you're absolutely right for the first start. And anyway, we got into this bed. I had one thought in my mind, maybe I should actually offer to sleep in the bath with a duvet over me. And I'm sure that would be at least much more comfortable and less frightening than sharing a bed with you. But actually, it passed very nicely. You were a great companion and full marks for your guile, because in a moment of madness, you, you rang Whisper and you said, why can't we open the show from the bedroom in the bed with uh, the newspapers and the breakfast being served to us? And it was great. It was fantastic. Well done to you. Yeah, no, that was a, a fun little element of our, our show. And I think that's one of the things when we've worked together on, on television in the past. There's a serious element, of course, to, to the business of Formula One and the driving. But equally, we've always had a bit of fun along the way. 
Yeah, but your fun and my fun kind of are slightly different. Well, your uh, fun is counting someone else's money that you managed <laughs> and to yours, <laughs> yours is <laughs> recounting and asking the most weird questions that you can possibly hopefully get away with. And I remember leaving that room after the TV station, you said, you turn back and we say, um, are we allowed to say some things like what you said to me? Do you remember what you said to me? I, I remember you vaguely mentioning something which I think we can probably get away with talking about in the podcast. What's your memory saying? Well, my memory is you turned around and say, in your typical Scottish accent, you could say, Oi, uh, EJ, uh, what age are you now? And I said, mm, I don't know what I was then, probably 70. And he said to me, Ah, just a piece of information. He said, uh, EJ, at what age, what age did you stop masturbating? Do you remember that? I do remember that. I, I'm, I'm curious. And I'm saying, what on earth is he asking me such a question like this for? And I thought, but nevertheless, it was direct. And it was a perfectly sensible thing for any grown adult would understand the words. And so I responded. And I thought I was really super quick. And I said, DC, as soon as I know, I'll inform you. Which I thought was a <laughs> fairly reasonable return. No, that's a great answer. So a few years since that moment, uh, any update? Um, well, I'm still hoping to give you an answer, but I haven't found one yet. <laughs> Listen, let's move on for heaven's sake. This will be blocked. This right. will not be part of the podcast, oh, I guarantee. Yeah, no, we'll cut this bit out for sure. Um, <laughs> right, we mentioned on the last uh, episode that you were looking to line up another famous musician who would get in touch with the show. Um, how did you get on? Any, any big names? Uh, let me go back uh, a little bit because Bernie owned Spa and he owned the race or he at least he took it from the council or the, the government. I'm sure there was a little touch in it for him. Um, but he also had uh, Budapest. That was his race. And we all used to wonder, why are we going to Budapest? I mean, not that many people there, but it was a great, great race. And the city poured itself out for us. Um, and Bernie said, look, Eddie, um, can you bring the band? And at that stage, we were called V10 because they were all V10 engines and there were, were a different bunch that weren't the robbers. And I said, yeah, I could do that. What do you have in mind, Bernie? He said, the prime minister and the mayor and stuff like that, it's the 20 or whatever anniversary it was of the rolling in of the, uh, the Russian tanks into the main streets of Budapest. And so it was a bit of a historical moment. And uh, people were concerned, would you play in the middle of Hero Square? Um, I said, Bernie, that's massive. I'd absolutely die to do that. And um, he said, so um, you guys play in Hero Square. It's all tented in a certain part and then open to the public in another part. So 12, 15,000 people. I said, Bernie, that's massive. Uh, is there a touch in this for us? And uh, he said, oh, I'll work it out. Typical Bernie, totally non-committal until the event happens. And then he said, well, I never promised you anything. But anyway, look, I was so pleased to do this. So I then had to go out and get myself some guys from the band and see what they were available. Because I had a, a group of people who used to come with me, kind of mainly session guys. And um, they were called the Spiritual Cowboys, great name. And they mainly gigged in sessions, but they also were attached to two particular guys uh, that they used to play uh, wild gigs with. Uh, one was Dave Stewart from the Eurythmics, and the other was Roger Taylor from Queen. So Ooh, Spiritual Cowboys and myself um, rustling through Heathrow Airport. As we were about to go through to the plane, as unbelievable, coming against us was Roger Taylor. And Roger had been at something. He could see that his band was with me, and I was going to... Budapest. So I said, Roger, get down there, go to check-in, and I kid you not, as soon as the door just before it was closed, on walks Roger. So we had Roger for the weekend. And anyone who's ever listened to Queen, just so if you actually know when we start clapping our hands to Lady Gaga, that's all Roger Taylor. 
he wrote that, he made it, and he's written so many of those great songs that Freddie Mercury had that people think that Freddie did it. But again, I ask you to listen to some of the album. When you hear somebody who's a couple of octaves above Freddie, that's Roger Taylor singing. Uh, a great voice. He, yeah. he is a sensational singer. And I promise you, probably one of the most emotional moments in my life is sitting behind a drum kit because he's an outstanding drummer. He's in the front of stage with Jonathan Perkins, who was a guy on the Hammond organ. And he and Jonathan sang We Can Be Heroes for One Day in the middle of Budapest in Hero Square. I promise you, even to this day, uh, you know, it's, it makes me go whiz. It was unbelievable. So Roger is somebody that I've known now for a very, very long time. Uh, he lives in South Africa. married a girl from South Africa. Second time I really met him, I think I, I met him in an audio place where we were both having our ears tested because neither of us can hear jack shit. And to, to be very... <laughs> I think his is worse How do you keep in time then if you guys can't hear? <laughs> timing is not the issue. <laughs> time is a memory. Um, anyway, um, I did message Roger Taylor and uh, surprise, surprise, he sent us a message. Do you see would you do us the honours and read out what he said? I will indeed. And this validates that this is an actual correspondence with Roger Taylor and Eddie Jordan, because sometimes you have been known to embellish Never. the facts. Anyway, right. So it goes like this. Eddie Deer. Oh, oh that's, that's a very sort that's of... different. That's very British, isn't it? Yeah. Eddie Deer. How could I forget singing Heroes in Hero Square Budapest? The rain, the stage fright, above all, Bernie paid... Ah, ah. <laughs> memories. Love Roger. I don't remember. That's, that's inaccurate. I don't remember Bernie Pena. That's not true because he had the biggest check sign made up in huge. And that was the photo shot. And uh, well done to Bernie. He paid out of his own pocket. He paid a lot of money for that gig. But it was a huge success. And I'm surprised we haven't seen more of those. Yeah. Well, great, great message from an absolute legend, legend of the music industry. I think one of one of the, the sort of most impressive uh, drum-offs that I've ever seen was I was at an event uh, at McLaren when Ron Dennis was still there, and it was for Tommy's, the, the charity that um, he's charity. part of, wonderful charity that helps families uh, dealing with, uh, you know, still stillborn children and bereavement in and, and that respect. And Ron had uh, Nick Mason from Pink Floyd and Roger Taylor from Queen, two drum sets playing in the middle of the McLaren technology center and they were they're sort of drumming off against each other and playing together and it was like one of those pinch yourself moments of two two great drummers and uh anyway I'm, i don't yeah you know you and ron weren't really pals were you so you weren't invited there were you um i i think lisa would have invited me but because marie decided that she'd side with lisa on on that little escapade but that that i think we were really persona non grata however yeah. there's a small little issue there and i wouldn't want to trump that particular moment but bernie Again, that man, um, he was doing a charity in some club in London and he had uh, a drum off similar thing. So that's probably where he got the idea from. It was Nick Mason. Uh, it was uh, Roger Taylor. Uh, of, of course, it was me. And, um, of course. <laughs> there, there <laughs> was great there was, drum offs there was, of the world. I think I was playing the spoons. And, and anyway, they pulled out the switch when people thought that the microphone was on me. They made sure it wasn't connected, which <laughs> is what happens a lot. And um, I think it was Mike Rutherford from Genesis. So there was, a, and then there could have been a fifth one. I forget who that might have been. But uh, Bernie fell in love with that sort of drum off thing. And in actual fact, it's very effective. I've got a little Freddie Mercury 
uh, story. I was a big fan of, of Queen. I was at an event in uh, Czech Republic and I was having a few drinks, as you do at these, these events, and there was a tribute act to Queen and, uh, and a Fred, Freddie Mercury impersonator. And I thought this guy was absolutely brilliant. And I was flying the next day uh, privately to my parents at a place in Spain. And I thought, I'm going to eat. My dad loves music. Um, and he's got all these musical instruments and what have you set up at his place in Spain. So I'll bring this guy as a surprise. And he'd organized a dinner. I can't remember if it was a birthday or what was going on. But anyway, so without telling my father, um, at a certain point in the proceedings, I pull out this Freddie Mercury impersonator and he starts to <laughs> sing, right? And I'm now sober and hungover. And it was awful. It was truly awful. And I remember the look at my father's face of, what the hell is this guy doing here? And of course, I had to own up and say, I've flown this guy here from Czech Republic. I think he's brilliant. But anyway, that was, that was a bit of a cock up. All right, well, look, let's, um, let's move this along. Um, so we've already spoken about two things close to your heart, music and me. Now, we're going to take some time to dig deeper into your other great love, which is the wheeling and dealing. Oh. And, and you've used, what was the expression you used for, for you know, cutting a deal, Bernie? I can't, you mentioned something there briefly. Then, uh, anyway, I'll come back anyway, to you. Anyway, uh, we very seldom won against Bernie. That was it. Bernie, yeah. there was only ever one winner in Bernie, and that was him. So the, the, the wheeling and dealing nature of your life, was that something that you already had prior to getting into running you know, Jordan team in Formula 3 and, and, and your route to Formula 1? Or is that something that you really developed once you got into the big numbers of Formula 1? I think it was there from birth. Yeah? Uh, you, weren't, you weren't selling sweets to your family members and things like uh, that, were you? No, they, they weren't that stupid. They didn't give me any money. But, you know, I remember like, silly little things when you were five or six, you know, you, you'd have a quart and you'd polish the conkers so well they'd look brilliant and you pass them off for, for his conkers with some money for you and then you polish them up and pass them on. So uh, wheeling and dealing, it's not, I, you call it that. I call it a trader. And, and trading is effectively gambling. Same as Formula One. Formula One is gambling. So when I'm at Silverstone and I'm seeing my first, you know, the two cars going into the first corner in cops and one runs into the other and the two of them come back in, in biffer bags uh, or biffer bins or whatever you call them here. <laughs> but, um, you know, you say to yourself, Jesus, I've just done two mil here. Am I out of my mind here? What the hell is go going on? How can this be pleasurable when I've just done a couple of million quids worth of damage? And the drivers, they didn't seem to be in any great pain either. No, I don't remember ever feeling anything other than a bit of guilt for the mechanics if I crashed the car. The cost never crossed my mind. Why not? Well, Someone has to build it. I, I hear you, I hear you, but don't you think if Dayton, I was worried... When, he, when he's Dayton yeah. driving that form, uh, that car that you've given him, the, the cart. My son, Dayton. Are you responsible for uh, crash, crash damage. damage? Yeah, of course. No, no. Get used to damage. it, man. Get used to it. <laughs> You're going to suffer. Yeah. You do realise that. Well, no, having taken money out of the sport for many years, I'm now investing it back again. But anyway, <laughs> I love the word I, investing. I, yes, indeed. So um, I'm actually heading up to Durham. I've never been to Durham. I'm heading to Durham tomorrow. Right, to, University to, in Durham. To see, see him race and then heading back to... Back to home after that, but anyway, a, a couple of extremes just to, to you know bring this section to an end. The worst dire straits you've been in financially, having you know whether it was the in full investment into Jordan Grand Prix a startup, and the best. Could uh, I often joke to people that you managed to sell Jordan Grand Prix twice and still own it? Uh, but there was only one man who eclipsed that was Bernie. I think he sold Formula One three times, didn't he? Uh, but um, for, for billions, and he copped the money, never actually ever 
paid to buy it back. I mean, it's in a miracle. It's it's worth a movie. In fact, there's a new movie out of the movie about him at the moment called Lucky. Lucky, I think yeah. it's probably worth a look at him and should do it myself. Cause you're, I you're, yet. you're not answering the question, EJ. Focus. Uh, no, but listen, my the worst one was in 1991 when really I had speculated the money. I, I don't Gambit. deny it. I made good money in Formula 3 and Formula 3000 and I had maybe about 15 or 18 drivers under my wings. They were all in Japan making decent money uh, of which I got a little piece out of pie and so I was happy and I went to, I remember going to Marie who's my wife and I said oh, what do you think, I'm, we made this uh, five mil and um, we have a choice. We continue going in Formula 3000 we're the champions and I could make good money for the remainder of as long as I want this data or I'm desperate to have a crack at this Formula One thing and she said well it's very simple you're never going to be happy until you do it and if it fails we're no worse off we're back to where we started and we know where we came from there so indirectly that was full support uh, which she's always had uh, but she's much more astute and much more financially conscious than me um, so I put that into it and then you get sucked in. You just spend more than what you're able to spend. But it was the start of the Formula One. There was Gasho and there was a problem, him in jail. And then there was a Michael Schumacher, but that was a bit of few quid for that and something else. And everything seemed to roll until the end of the year when Vickers, who, who then owned Cosworths, and I hadn't paid the engine bill for quite some time. And because they didn't um, want to not give me engines to, on the grid, so that would have been too high exposure for them and would have been so negative to their shareholders. Holders. Um, as soon as the season was over, they sent bailiffs around left, right and centre. I couldn't believe there was that many bailiffs in the UK, but they all seemed to be outside my door. <laughs> and um, the next thing was, um, I had been warned off not to be there, so I wasn't there. So I avoided all these bailiffs. But then the judge came and it's kind of difficult situation. If you, have you ever had a winding up petition, David? Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> but believe me, it's great fun until you wind up in front of the court and he says, by tomorrow... Mr. Jordan, do you understand? By tomorrow, 12 o'clock, on the CHAP system, the CHAP is a, a banking term, which I was familiar with. And he said, we need a minimum of 1 million paid by 12 o'clock tomorrow. And failure to do that, we will wind your business up. So I would suggest, he believed that we wouldn't ever find anything. And he suggests I go and see a good liquidator or somebody like that who, who could administrate what little or nothing assets were there. And... Um, but then I met this great friend of mine, my longest serving member. I had dinner with him last night, a guy, Mick Tunney. I said to him, Mick, I am absolutely desperate. I've asked everyone. He said, look, I'm coming to see you. I said, Mick, don't need to come to see me tomorrow, 12 o'clock. I'm history. And he came. He said, no, I have to see you. And he went to Richard. He didn't want to talk to me. He went to see the accounts and stuff like that. And out of the blue, have no idea. I never signed one document, never saw one thing, but the million was paid. And that was my closest shave ever but that's just miracle stuff the isn't luck it? of the irish and then another irish guy came and bailed me out so as i was able to pay him that back and that's another story we're we going to tell that well yeah. no we, absolutely we've got time if um, it's boring, so the we'll story it was three weeks later as luck would have it oh it's boring um apartheid had stopped and the south africans were allowed to trade again and the oil company there called sassel decided that, that they wanted to do something. They were getting a massive tax break, I think 200% or something really huge. And this great tax lawyer, uh, Brian Mann, did something remarkable for me. He rang me up and he said, look, Eddie, I might just have the slightest possibility. Could you find space for an oil company on there? And he said, but what we're really trying to do is we're trying to get a hold of 
Rubens Barrichello and Petrobras because they make oil out of corn or um, sugarcane and Sassel made oil out of coal. So the two of them naturally came together. Um, he flew. I remember meeting him in a pub in, beside the Savoy and he gave me six mil. And then I told him, that was one of my better strokes. I told him, I said, what are you trying to achieve here? And he said, well, I'm trying to do that. I said, well, actually, you need to go back to Sassel and say, I don't think I can take this money if that's what you want to achieve because you cannot achieve it in the six or eight months that's left in the season. And I would strongly advise you to talk to the board because it needs to be a minimum of three-year deal. And he came back and he said, it's been approved. How lucky is that? Well, Paid back, make the money, and off I'm gone. Yeah. I don't often acknowledge any positivity towards you, but I have to compliment you on your negotiating capabilities. So I want to know is, have you checked your pockets? Is the same amount of money that you came in with, is it still in there? I haven't had a look now, but well, I, I would I, doubt it somewhere I, I'm, I'm actually, I'm always impressed with people like yourself who've got not only the gift of the gab, but the ability to think in, like most people would think six mil for the end of the season. I'll take that. That's, that's wonderful. I didn't know it was coming. You're immediately going, I can turn this into a three-year deal, <laughs> which is very impressive. I don't have those skills. I know my limitations. You know, you know, you know my family, we were transport uh, family. Yeah, company. but your dad had to be one of the greatest hustlers of all time. You don't have a transport company lugging Highland Water or whatever it's called, Highland, Highland Springs, Spring. uh, all over the globe and uh, not know how to touch people up. I mean, come on. Your, <laughs> your father's a glorious man. Yeah. He used to come to Ireland to do shooting and fishing and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, no, he loves all that. Stopped. Yeah, no, he, well, he's retired now. My brother runs the company and he's doing a great job. He's got his three kids working and in Hayton Coulthard Limited for anyone who needs transport solutions. Other haulage companies are available, but I would definitely recommend. But um, now my father told a a great story when I was a kid about when mum and him were were first together. And I think my brother had just been born, who's three years older, and they were broke. You know, they they had this transport company, but they were really struggling to make ends meet. And he opened the cupboard in the kitchen and there was a tin of Heinz beans. And he, he took it and on the back of it was the number of Heinz's headquarters. And he calls them up and says, I'd like to speak to uh, the transport uh, director, uh, Mr. Oh, God, I've forgotten his name. It's, uh, you know, Duncan Coulthard from Hayton Coulthard Limited. And the switchboard lady said, oh, that way, Mr. whatever, Mr. Smith. And he went, that's it, Mr. Smith. Can you put me through, please? So he gets put through to the transport director. And he says, I've I've been told that you're having difficulties with your distribution to the northern part of England and and, and Scotland. And, you know, I'm passing by in the coming days. Uh, I thought it'd be good if we have a meeting. So he got a meeting with the main guy at Heinz on the basis of taking a tin of beans. And and Heinz were were a a customer or a client of of Hayton Coulthard for decades after that. It was incredible how, you know, seeking out opportunity so where did you miss out? Well, I never had, you know, I'm next generation, aren't I? So it was all handed to me in a silver platter. But do you not have the, the neck or the balls for that no, kind of stuff? No, not at all. I'm, I'm sure. t- horrible, uh, terrible negotiating. So when I said to you that you were a driver with uh, Paul Stewart and Jackie, yeah. I called you soft with, yeah, with Jill. True. But you are soft, aren't I you? I am soft, I'm a, yeah. But you're a nice man. Well, you can't th- be th- both. Thank you, EJ. You well, can't I'm, be a nice I'm, man. I'm and, not sure any of my exes would say I was a nice man, but uh, <laughs> when it comes to business, I'm, I don't have your skills. But I think it, part of being in business is recognizing your limitations. I think I have other skills in business. Yeah, I, I have absolutely no doubt about that. So we've got a listener question here from a gentleman called Richard Whiting. He found it uh, super interesting to hear in a previous episode about your role, Eddie, in the rebrand of DHL. And he wanted to know 
whether when you had established Jordan as the, the yellow yellow car out in the racetrack, was there ever a negotiation with any other sponsors that could have seen you give up on that famous yellow Jordan color? You know, basically he's asking, would, would there have been a price that you would have turned that car red or pink or whatever color? Always. Was it? Did it ever happen though? Uh, it couldn't have happened because I probably would have taken the money. <laughs> Worth knowing that in your mind, just like everyone now thinks that DHL was yellow, but it actually was white. And people will automatically think when they see a Benson and Hedges and having looked at Jordan, they think it was yellow. That's not true. Never was. It was gold. Okay. And when we got the sponsorship from Benson and Hedges, Ian Phillips and I said, you know, how unbelievable is this Benson and Hedges? So when Marty uh, Brundle had that massive crash in, in the car, was gold. And it did nothing. It wasn't bad for static photographs, but the gold was just not right for television. And Ian Phillips came to me and he said, look, we've got to do something with this. It's he was just your commercial director. Commercial director. He is my right-hand man. Without any question, I'd like to think that I'm his left-hand man. Anyway, together we were a formidable duo, that's for sure. He, anything that I'd miss, he made sure he got. But this was, came from him. And Nigel Northridge, who was the chief executive now, he'd worked his way all the way up through Gallagher's and into Benson and Hedges. And he, he had been the boss of Silcott, which is part of the same group. And we went to Silverstone for a trial and a test and we put the car out and the first part in the morning was the car was in gold, which is how it was set out to be. And the second part, we had it in yellow uh, because we felt it gave this vibrancy, it gave this, you know, fuck you kind of attitude. It was punk, wasn't it? It was punk, it was rock and roll. So we had this car that was in yellow, but you know, we're clever. Ian was really clever. He went to ICI and he said, look, this is the yellow we would like. But he said, you know, we we really need to jazz this up big time. So could you put uh, into a and a huge amount of metallic paint mix in the yellow so that under certain light, it's a bit like Monaco. When you're in Monaco going through the tunnel and at nighttime, everything sparkles up, doesn't it? Yeah. Why? Because they put glass, they put glass in the tarmac and the glass is in the road. And when the light shines, boom. And that's exactly indirectly what we did with the car. Put the yellow and we put masses of metallic paint in it, and it flew up. And Nortridge had to go, and he said, my God, this, the difference was massive. So from there on in, the car was yellow. And just to give you a little bit of an example, if you remember through the murk and, and the grime of that race in Spa, 98, um, you couldn't see other cars, but you could see the two yellow Jordan cars because it just glistened out of... Well, the, you couldn't see any other cars because we'd all crashed. You only won it because I took half the field out. Well, I didn't want to say that because I wanted to, you know, be kind <laughs> to your mind and your, your ego and all that because you do have a big ego and we want to make sure that, you know, you are revered as the great driver that you always were. But anyway, that's my story about uh, the yellow jumping out at you. So it was yellow and then it became so popular, the yellow, that we had a request from a record company and... Um, the guy wanted to know, the record company, well, please tell us the Pantone color number. And I said, well, I think we can't tell you because it's, it's Jordan's property. They created the color. They created the amount of thing. And I said, well, who is it? And I said, uh, a record company. Okay, give it to them. So they gave it to him. So this guy turned up in a limo and he wanted to have his photograph taken alongside the car. 
And don't ask me whether it was before or after, but he'd had knocked his tooth out and he had his hair coloured the exact same colour as the car. Come on, DC, you're a rock and roller. Who was that? Uh, Anyway, to save you any more, it was Sex Pistols. I was going to say that. Were you going to say that? Yeah. Johnny Lydon, who's Irish, had coloured his hair the same colour and the car and the colour were part of a a demo album that he was doing at the time, just after Nevermind the Bollocks, when that was world famous, a great, great album. And um, there's a little bit of nostalgia, a bit of no information. So Paul McCartney's mother, Marie, my wife's mother, and Johnny Lydon's mother all came from a tiny little village in Wexford. Can you imagine that? I thought you were going to say they're all the same person. That's the Irish really no, no, that's pitching divine. themselves. You were talking about Easter was last weekend, David. Yeah. Do, no, don't confuse the punters. <laughs> well, Resurrection that, and stuff is Well, that is an, a nice connection. And actually thinking about it and, and keeping with that little Beatles connection, it seems to me that you've done more for Yellow than anyone else other than probably, um, what's the name of the drummer from the Beatles? Ringo oh, Starr. Ringo. Since Yellow Submarine. Still very You famous. and Ringo, the Yellow Men. And uh, listen, with all your mates in Rockabella, he's uh, still uh, a tenant in Rockabella in Monaco. So you've known him maybe 25 years. He, well, I, I have, but I don't think I've actually ever spoken to him. But the last time I saw him was on a, on a flight from Nice uh, to Heathrow. And he was sitting behind me and I didn't want to disturb him. And then at the end of the flight, he, he, he got up, he tapped me on the shoulder, I looked round, he just gave me a big thumbs up and then didn't say anything. And I never said anything back. So I'm still not sure I've ever spoken to no, him. No, I don't think he knew who you were. <laughs> well, look, that maybe then is a good moment for us to wrap this one up. Final thing, Eddie, before I let you get on your way, what are you doing for the weekend? Oh, I don't know. Well, apart from I have a, a daughter, Mickey, who's 40 on Sunday, so I'm uh, going to do that. Uh, I've become a really ardent family man in my older years because, to be fair, David, and this is worth mentioning on behalf of all the crews and all the people and everyone in Formula One, but um, if I ever feel that I've let people down, it's probably my family because from the mid-80s till the early 2000s, I spent 18 hours a day, seven days a week, trying to keep Jordan afloat, trying to make success, trying to build up drivers, trying to make some money, trying to see the future, trying to do everything. And um, my kids often said, I remember what Zoe said to me one day, which is really hard. She said... Who are you? "Uh, No, she said, well, probably worse. She said, Dad, you've just turned up. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny, but it hurts. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've got a great family, EJ. With all the new races that are happening and i'm i'm saying this to everyone i'm saying this to liberty if they happen to listen guys be careful because think about what you wish for because very often less is more and i don't think you can flog people and horses till they're dead yeah well here here to that right i'm going to wrap it there so to our lovely audience remember keep sending in your questions to ffs at whisper.tv and on social media at f1 for success i've had a look at some of the questions ej that we'll be able to highlight in the coming episodes um yeah we're, we're going to you're going to have to work on getting some good answers to our listeners but until then it's goodbye from me and me too great pleasure loved it well done david
Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.